Welcome to Tulsa Time with Bishop David Condola. I'm Adam Minahan. As we talk all things Catholic here in the Diocese of Tulsa and Eastern Oklahoma, blessed Advent to everybody here. Thank you so much for commenting uh, on the episodes that we've had so far. If you could leave a comment below, let us know what you want us to talk about. If you have any questions, we can have some follow-ups maybe at some point uh, to re revisit some of the topics and, uh, and be able to answer your questions. But Bishop, welcome. This is a first. We're going to have a first here on Tulsa Time with Bishop Condola. Right. Today we introduce a guest. That's right. Carlo. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Broussard. Car Carlo Broussard. Yeah. Easy to remember now since I've learned that you're from Louisiana. There you go. And That's Broussard right. is definitely from Louisiana. That's right. There's a whole lot of Broussards yes, there. there welcome. Welcome. Yeah, it's yeah. a pleasure to be here with you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Carlo works for Catholic Answers yeah. and is visiting us here in the diocese for a couple of days. So happy to have you here. It's great to be here, Your Excellency. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Carlo, you've been here a couple times in the Diocese of Tulsa, uh -huh. giving, a, yeah. giving a few talks. Uh, you've been at, working at Catholic Answers for about seven years? Seven years now. Yeah, okay. and how many years in September? And how many books do you have? I have them? four, and the fifth is we're starting to edit the manuscript. Okay. That'll be coming out in the hopefully the fall of 2023. Mm. And the title of that new book is The New Relativism Unmasking the Philosophy of Woke Moralists. Mm. So looking okay. forward to that. Yeah, you can go to shop.catholic.com and check out all of their products. Catholic Answers does uh, great work. You can also listen to it on. 94.9 St. Michael Catholic Radio here in Tulsa. That's right, right, right. Um, so this week we're going to talk about forming your conscience. We're going to have a, a kind of a trend of different topics that we're going to talk about that kind of bleed into one another. Hmm. Um, as we go th each week, you'll be able to kind of uh, see the trends and see what we're talking about, how they relate to one another. So we're going to start off mm -hmm. um, in this Advent season on the importance of forming one's conscience. Yeah, and I wonder if, uh, I think it used to be the case that a, the primary error was imagining that the conscience is what I want to do. In other words, that that uh, the conscience was sort of my sense of what's right and wrong, which is true in a certain in a certain manner of speaking. Um, I'll tell a little story that may give us a a tool to use as we talk about conscience and conscience formation. I used to go camping with a group of priests uh, up into the mountains in Wyoming, into the Bighorn mm -hmm. Mountains every summer we went. And we camped at about 8,000 feet, and in front of us was another peak that went up to close to 12,000 feet. And often during our days there, we would take a, a day to hike up to the top of that peak and just to see the sights and to spend some time hiking and then come back down. Uh, once you leave the camp, it's easy to see where you're going because it's a big mountain in front of you and you're going that way. Once you get up to the top of the peak, you can see the camp down there in the distance. Mm -hmm. But once you start down, you're in forests and there are swampy areas that you have to navigate around. And it's easy to get lost mm -hmm. going down. So from the top, I would set a compass on the camp, set that uh, compass bearing, so that once I got down in the forest, then I would always know which way is the camp because I've set a compass bearing for the camp. Now, how carefully do you think I managed that compass and hanging on to that compass, and how faithfully do you think I followed it? 
Occasionally, you come to a swampy area and you have to go this way around it, but you know that as soon as you get clear of it, you're going to get right back on that bearing and, and make your way down to the camp. And so that, I think, gives us a way to think about mm-hmm. conscience, what conscience is, how important conscience is, and the necessity of forming the conscience. It's not just something that is just sort of passive and, and natural. Um, the the uh, conscience is really like the compass, and a primary way in which the the uh, conscience is like the compass, I think, is in the fact that the conscience is the voice of God in us, not our voice in us. Although we do speak a lot inside our head, the the compass does not. We don't get to to make the compass point the way we want. It's operating based on a force outside of it, the magnetic poles of the earth. And that tells it what true north is. And the same thing for the conscience. The conscience is not us saying what we think should be right or wrong. Mm. It's us discovering, it's an intellectual capacity, us discovering what God himself has defined as being right and wrong. And since we don't have a natural knowledge of right and wrong in this fallen state that we live in, um, our will is corrupted and our ability to judge what is right and wrong is somewhat corrupted, we have to form our conscience according to what God has already taught us. Mm -hmm. Thus the importance of things like the catechism, for example, or the teaching of the church generally Uh, the scriptures are a source of our conscience of knowing what is right and wrong. So yeah. what, what do you think about that compass analogy? Does that work? Yeah, I, I like I like the compass analogy, having your bearing straight and having the bearing straight would be determined by God's law of what is right and wrong, good and bad for us as human beings, as revealed to us both in a natural way through the principles of the natural moral law, mm-hmm. which we can come to discover by the natural light of human reason, and revealed law, which is given to us through God's revelation, through the Old Testament, the New Testament of our Lord Jesus and the apostles, as taught to us and handed on to us by the magisterium of the church. The, speaking of the catechism, Your Excellency, it, it gives us a nice definition. You touched on a very important point that's at the core of conscience, the intellectual capacity of it. Mm -hmm. And the Catechism picks up on this in paragraph 1778, where it defines conscience as a judgment of reason, Mm. whereby the human person recognizes the moral quality of a concrete act that he's going to perform in the process of performing or has already performed or completed. But the key there is the judgment of reason that this action is good. Mm-hmm. And that's at the heart of what conscience is. Now this brings up the necessity to form our conscience. What do we mean by that? Well, if it's a judgment of reason, we need to make sure that the judgment is right, right? right. <laughs> because sometimes the judgment can be wrong. Mm-hmm. It's called an erroneous judgment. Right. And so the question then becomes, well, how do I make myself make the right judgment? Like, what do I do in order to help myself make a right judgment that this behavior is good for me as a human being or therefore morally good, and some other behavior is not morally good? Right. 
And that's where the formation of conscience comes in. What we mean by that is just simply doing the studying and the work that we need to do to listen to God's voice through mm-hmm. revelation, teaching mm-hmm. of the church, scriptures, tradition, and through nature, looking at the natural moral law and the order of good that the creator has inscribed within our human nature yeah. in order to determine like, yeah, this sort of behavior is not good and this sort of behavior is good. And of course we can fill in the blanks of what kind of behaviors we want to analyze. If we, if we go back to that compass, if the compass is broken and I'm up there in the midst of the woods, mm-hmm. I don't have any other choice than to follow the con- the compass that I have. But if that compass is set wrong or is yeah. broken, I'm going to follow it because it's all I've got. Mm-hmm. But it's still going to lead me not back to my home, to the campsite, <laughs> right. but somewhere else. And so the same thing with the conscience. We, we assume that we want to go home. When we talk about conscience, we're first assuming that God matters to us mm-hmm. and that we want to do his will, that we want to love God and demonstrate our love for God by doing his will, that we want to reach our home in heaven. We're not home now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if all I want is to wander around on the mountain in the woods, then whatever I use as a, co- a compass won't matter, and whether I follow it carefully or not won't matter. Yeah. But if I'm trying to get to that campsite, and I'm trying to do so before it gets dark and cold. And survive. And come out and survive. <laughs> yeah. Then I definitely want to use a correctly formed compass mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or conscience, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I want to follow it carefully. No matter how I feel, uh, that's going to be another piece of this, is that uh, the conscience is not a feeling in us. We will have feelings about what conscience tells us, mm-hmm. right. and we may we may have negative feelings. Right, right, right. right. Uh, sometimes uh, doing what is right, true, and good is not uh, happy. It doesn't make us happy. It, we may have a feeling in us that I would rather go out and drink all night tonight <laughs> with my buddies. Right. Uh, well, I may feel that way, but I know by my conscience. Yeah that that's not what I should do. right? And so even though I don't feel like I should uh, come home at a decent hour, have a moderate drink, and that's it, that is what I should do. Well, what's interesting, and I'm glad you brought up the term happiness, Your Excellency, because what it does is, in one sense, it limits or uh, curtails a kind of happiness, Mm -hmm. namely, the happiness that comes or the satisfaction that comes with physical pleasure. So, but at the same time, there is a higher kind of happiness Mm -hmm. that comes with doing what is right in that particular circumstances because you're actually perfecting your nature as a human being by doing what is right. We're, we're functioning properly as a human being. And as Aristotle and St. Thomas, St. Thomas Aquinas you know, perfecting Aristotle's thought teaches us is that to be happy ultimately is to function properly as a human being. And that is knowing the truth, doing the good, following the good, living in conformity with God's design for us as a human being. So although there is a lower kind of happiness in this particular circumstance that is curtailed and done away with, namely perhaps in this circumstance, physical pleasure, there's a higher kind of happiness, that contentment of heart and that peace is that's going to come with doing what is right. Because if we do what is wrong, then 
you know, we, the, the common phrase is, you know, our conscience is pricked. We're going to start feeling that shame and that guilt for doing what is wrong. And that's the kind of unhappiness that we don't want. That's a recipe for unhappiness. Right. And, and the other thing that we want to recognize about uh, conscience and the formation of conscience is that it is always being formed no matter what. There <laughs> One way or the other. There's no stack. They're good or bad. Yeah. <laughs> there are voices coming at us at every hour and every moment of the day, more so now than ever with all of our devices. Uh, the culture around us has its own thoughts and ideas about what is true, what is good. Right. Uh, and so advertisers are spending trillions, I think now it's up to trillions of dollars uh, for advertising, not because it doesn't work, <laughs> they're not spending that money on something that doesn't work. They're spending that money on something that's effective. And so it's going to be, it's going to require a decision on our part and then an activity. How do we live a life in which we are regularly consuming what is good and true? Uh, going to mass one hour a week is not going to be enough because right. that's, of course, the summit of our faith. But in terms of the instruction that we receive there, the homily is 10 minutes, right? Yeah. Right. People pray that it's at least only 10 minutes. <laughs> um, but the homily is going to be short compared to the 24 hours a day of messaging that's coming at us. And so we're going to need to take up some uh, form habits, for example, using our, our technology to look up things like... Uh, blogs and and uh, videos and Catholic Answers websites and Absolutely. the catechism and all kinds of stuff. Uh, those are the kinds of things that as we develop interests in them, mm -hmm. will begin to feed us. And then we'll, those interests will grow right. mm -hmm. uh, and crowd out the things that are bad for us. As our Lord said, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We have to feed the soul with the word of God both in its divinely revealed form, but the Word of God is sort of in a loose sense as even through nature of what we can come to know mm -hmm. through reason alone and through philosophy and feeding the mind with truth. Mm -hmm. Because whenever we do allow ourselves to indulge in the things of the world, even if it's not bad, like even if it's mm -hmm. just sort of neutral, it can have a tendency to to weaken the mind in such a way that you no longer have a desire to feed the mind with the true, the good, and the beautiful, right. because you're constantly indulging in these lesser goods, yeah. and you lose a sense of zeal and enthusiasm for the higher goods. And it can actually impede progress and growth in, in, life. in, in the spiritual life and in the intellectual mm -hmm. life as well. So even though the secular things might not be all the way bad, mm -hmm. it's it's just like eating okay food and not right. dining on the good stuff the new right. that gives you the nutrition yeah so what do you what would you suggest bishop like so emotions aren't a bad thing no nope. um however there's this tension sometimes whenever we come to a, a decision and we have this emotion that it's pulling us one way we want to do certain things mm -hmm. but we realize our conscience is telling us something deep inside of us saying like no you shouldn't do that mm -hmm. how do we combat that that tension between what our conscience is saying and what our emotions are trying to tell us. I don't know if it's something to combat as as much as it's simply something to recognize and to mm -hmm. not let our emotions be what rules us. Well, uh, 
we we want to to have our emotions as a good mm-hmm. and see them as a good, but they're kind of a neutral, particularly when it comes to something that has to do with reason. When something has to do with reason, our mind mm-hmm. is what uh, is going to be primary. And in terms of following our conscience, the conscience is an action of our reason. And so we're going to feel something about what conscience is telling us, but we shouldn't let that uh, dissuade us from following the conscience. We're going to talk in another episode about virtues. Yes. And one of the things we'll say there, we'll talk about virtues as a habit. Well, the same thing here, following our conscience, the more that that becomes habitual to us, the less our emotions will feel negative about what it tells us. Absolutely. Uh, If we're coming to... You know, chastity, for example, if we've uh, grown up in a culture that is very unchaste and we've we've um, consumed those messages a lot, then when we come to the judgment of conscience that an action is going to be unchaste, we may react negatively to that simply because we formed an opposite habit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now we have to work to form the habit in view of the good, the virtue of chastity, and then when we do then that judgment of conscience won't feel negative to us. It will be something we look for. Okay, so what, what role does it does friendship have in forming your conscience? Um, you know, you're kind of to your analogy of, of going up and up and down the mountain with your with your priest friends, right? Yeah. So what happens if you're com- you are not you can't quite read the compass. Yeah. Uh, and but you have friends here with you to t- to help you navigate down the mountain. Yeah. It depends on the friends, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> depends on how they're reading the compass. It, yeah. In bear country, you want slow friends. Friends who are slower <laughs> than slower, you are. Slower than you. That's yeah. all that matters. You don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun your friend. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but the analogy works. If you've got a group of five friends uh, hiking down the mountain with compasses, and three of them lose their compass, mm-hmm. or three of them fall and it breaks, then two of them are still able to help guide the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, those two need to have compasses that also work and so on and so forth. So we should pick our friends based in part on our judgment that they won't try to lead us astray, mm. that they won't make it harder for us to live a life of virtue. Right. Uh, and we want to be the kind of friend that doesn't lead other people astray. Right. Uh, when, we, when we live that way and have friends that way, we uh, form virtuous circles that spiral up that lead us towards God, which is what should happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about that in terms of the married vocation, two right. people whose uh, job is to lead each other to heaven. heaven. Yeah, and the same thing with our friends. Yeah, yeah. Friends don't let friends sin. Now, of course, we want to avoid a sort of a perfectionism that says, "I won't be with anybody who." Uh, does anything wrong? Otherwise, I wouldn't even be here. You guys would be like, get, get, "Adam, get out of here." <laughs> we, would, we wouldn't be able to be Christian because our Lord did precisely that. That's right. right. He he uh, went to the home of Matthew, the tax collector, even though it scandalized the other apostles. Yes. Um, he went there because they needed the physician. He's Absolutely. the divine physician. So once we are living a moral life and striving after that, mm-hmm. then we should, in fact, strive to influence others towards that. Yeah. I think another way, perhaps, of looking at the compass metaphor is sometimes what you were mentioning earlier, Your Excellency, about our intellects being darkened, mm-hmm. right, due to the fall, not totally corrupt, 
So we don't want to fall into fideism to where the mind cannot know anything about God by itself, but it's darkened. So if we go to the compass analogy, perhaps my sight is a bit skewed of seeing the compass, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe my eyes are a bit flawed Mm -hmm. and I need a friend to help me read the compass itself accurately. Mm -hmm. And so applying that to the moral life, often Mm -hmm. what happens is our friends can have deeper insights and a greater intellectual insight Mm -hmm. or vision of what's truly good for us as a human being. And often this happens in relationships. I often use this in talks with high schoolers. You know, many times girls get in bad relationships and they have this false view of like, oh, this guy really loves me. And of course, her friend, her best friend's like, no, girl, you need to kick that dude to the curb, right? (laughs) And so I think that's where friends can come into play here and help Mm -hmm. us to accurately read the compass, Mm -hmm. the compass being our human nature and what's good for us, what's Mm -hmm. right, what's wrong. And so that's where friendships can be very helpful to help read the compass accurately so that we can achieve Mm -hmm. the goal, the end, the telos, which is union with God. It's, it's a strong experience when you're out hiking like that. Uh, you'll have this experience where the compass is saying, go this way, but in your mind... You're thinking, no, I'm supposed to go that way. Definitely, that can't be right. It, <laughs> it may even be telling you to go uphill, and you're trying to go down a mountain. Right. But you're in a valley. So similarly, in terms of the moral life, sometimes the church will propose something that seems controversial. Uh, one thinks of, for example, uh, contraception, the teaching right. on contraception. Seems completely opposite of what we ought to do, seems completely controversial. But that's a case like this. The, mm-hmm. the, the conscience, the teaching of the church is true. Our conscience is formed in a way that makes it hard for it to accept it as being correct and true. It doesn't seem like it is, but that's why we have to have this this uh, willingness to be obedient to the voice of God in us mm-hmm. as we receive it from the sources, in this case the church, uh, so that we can then learn through the journey. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if the, if the compass seems wrong but you follow it anyway, eventually you see, oh, okay, I see why I thought it was the other way. Uh, well, the same thing in terms of the, the church's teaching. As we follow it, we're able to then look back and see, okay, I can see why I was thinking the other thing now. Right. Uh, Okay, so to wrap up, let's get a little practical on how to form our conscience. Maybe to to use this compass analogy Mm -hmm. even further is how often are we checking the compass? Right. Um, I learned that, or I found that as I examined my conscience at night, it was harder for me to remember everything that I did throughout the day uh, because I was either mentally exhausted or just it was, it was, more of a strain. But I found that if I stopped during lunch time and then re-examine like what I've done thus far, mm-hmm. uh, it gives me an opportunity to like an, take an analysis of what I've done and then be able to rectify anything that I've done wrong mm-hmm. throughout the day. If I did at the end of the night, it was hard, it was hard for me to say, oh, that's what I did wrong, but I can't do anything about it today. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, maybe some ideas on uh, other ideas on how to continue forming our conscience. Well, well, we'll talk about this again, I think, when we talk about confession and making a good right. confession. Spoiler uh, alert, that's what we're talking about next. Yeah. <laughs> but this, this, is, this does apply in a sense. Um, the, the way in which we're talking about conscience formation now is less oriented about 
getting ready to confess sins right. and more about how to form the virtues and how to learn how to uh, listen to the voice judgment. of God. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, though, that can help us in, in forming the habits that lead to a well-formed conscience mm-hmm. is this, this idea of what's called the daily examine in the tradition, um, where we take some time at the end of the day and look back over the day and think about the things that we're trying to form, the virtues that we hope to form, and what were areas where we tripped today and, and didn't use those virtues so that we can try to resolve to grow and do better. Uh, we, we hear some spiritual writers also talk about uh, an examination of consciousness at the end of the day, because sometimes the examination of conscience leads to a kind of a scrupulosity sure. uh, that we want to avoid as well. The examination of consciousness is to, to have a daily period of prayer where we look back over the day and think, where were the, the places and the ways in which God was present to me today? Uh, was I conscious during the day of, wow, this is God moving in that person to help me, or well, this beautiful day is is a providential gift of God. You know, mm-hmm. when was I conscious of being in God's presence today? Mm-hmm. Both of those help us to desire a well-formed conscience mm-hmm. because of our love for God and our desire to be obedient to Him, and then to form the habits that will lead to it. Okay. Hey, Carla, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Well, thanks for having me. Maybe we'll, we'll see you next week as well, maybe? Indeed. All absolutely. right. This is uh, Tulsa Time with Bishop David Condrilla. Tune in next week. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can check out our new studio. We have some new things coming in uh, in a couple of weeks. So thank you so much for tuning in. Join our Facebook page as well. Uh, I'm Adam Minahan. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.